Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night with one of my favorites. Jasmine Savoy Brown's Ah. here. I've wanted you on this show. Feels like for so long, but I Thank feel like you. it's just since Scream 6, even though I had seen some of your work before, but you you spoke to my soul. I mean Scream 5. You spoke to my soul in Scream 5. Well, thank you. I, I give all the credit to the writers. It's fa- They're a special group. Yeah. Them and Radio Silence, I adore them, and I'm very thankful <sighs> they are at the them. helm of the Scream films. And I'm so excited for them, this new project they're doing with Melissa. I like I don't know that. anything about that. That is such a surprise, but I'm excited for all them. All I care is that it's them, it's her, and apparently there's a monster involved. I'm all for that. So the first order of business on Collider it. Ladies Night. Yeah, touch it. Things fall apart, but it's okay. They go back together. Do I get to? You do. So this is our Ladies Night Dice Tower. I have eight random questions here. You get three okay. rolls on the tower, and whatever you roll, that's where we start. No, that's scary. I don't like it. They're fun. Okay. They're fun. Some are fun. Some are serious acting questions. Wait, you need to put it in Oh, the, put it in there? Oh. It's a dice tower. I don't know what the dice tower is. Honestly, if I'm not I didn't, a gamer girl. If I didn't own this, I wouldn't know either. Okay. That's what, what I had anyway. What number do you see? Five. Okay. On I, to, we're going by... I, the, oh. I always get confused because I wonder if it looks different on my side compared to yours. Oh, is right. Is that because, how a die works? Well, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm trying to... What number would maybe look like a... Oh, because if it was a six versus nine. No, like if it's like... Then... If it's like that and like, oh, I guess it's still... A, There's only one oh, no, top. It's still the same. You're right. It's still the top. You're looking at the... Well, I'm in so, that case, I, then I, I have one, five, seven, nine, eight, three. I'm so used to playing this game virtually where I'm totally in control of the tower that the first time I let somebody else roll, I'm like, you how panic. do I do this anymore? So we're starting Virgo. with a five. You got a very serious acting question oh, to start okay. here. This is favorite, least favorite. I want your favorite part of the acting process, like putting your costume oh. on for the first time, hitting 
being set for the first time, but then also not necessarily not necessarily your least favorite, but the part of the process where, you know, you see room to grow for yourself and can try something new. <laughs> wow, we really are jumping right in. Okay, you favorite. <laughs> but you wrote it. And then picked it. Jesus Christ. In that case, I, I actually saw four. <laughs> I can do my one next to me. No, I thought we're getting them all anyway. Okay, my favorite part and my least favorite. Let's start with the negative. Okay. Wait, so least favorite part of the acting process not, or where I have room to grow? Those are two very it's not, different That's the thing. Questions. It's not necessarily, like, it looks nicer when I write favorite, least favorite in our little graphic, yeah. but it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's like okay. a, a place in the process where you can experience something new. You know what? Yes. Okay. I could prep sooner. I could do some of my prep earlier. It just, it depends on... Um, the project, like, for example, like Green Bank, right? I have this script so far in advance. We don't even have a start date yet, but I will be, I'll have my lines memorized for, like, I approach movies like I approach plays. I'm going to memorize that thing back to front, page by page, boom. TV, it's a lot easier to, like, save learning lines until in the car ride on the way to work because I know the character so well. I'm not, like, that I that I'm like okay I I know who she is I know what motivates her I can show up and just like kind of be present and see what happens um, so it's so it's sometimes better if the lines aren't like so cemented but then it's mostly that I just get all panicky I've never gone to work not prepared I'm always prepared but it's just then I'll wake up and be like oh my god I don't know my lines for what it's worth I waver every single interview I do whether I should be prepared to a T where I know my questions word for word or if you or should be off the cuff I should just like chill out right. because then I feel beholden to that exactly. and less likely to go down a path that might be interesting that I didn't expect. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess that does that kind of yeah. I'd say my favorite parts of the process are the same as my least favorite. And that like I love prep. I love that time when the character and all the ideas and the whole inner world is just mine, and I haven't shared it with anyone yet. Like I haven't showed up to work and shared it with. The director shared it with the other actors and no one knows and it's private. But then I also love getting to work and that getting thrown out the window and just seeing what happens in the moment. Like I'm 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 selfish and then I'm collaborative. I like that way of looking at it. Private and then public. I'm ruining my game because now I have a follow-up question because you brought up <laughs> Green, Bra- Green Bank. What is an infant sleep trainer exactly? Oh, it's a person who – it's like exactly what it sounds like. They help train your infant to get to sleep. So is like, that like a common thing? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's common, but it is a thing. Huh. Like some babies just have a much harder time going down or sleeping through the night, and the parents or parent or caregiver is like, I need sleep. Yeah. Unfortunately – they can afford to then hire someone so they can sleep for a week uninterrupted and this person is like waking up with your baby or teaching you how to engage with your baby to help them sleep through the night. This is why I have pets and my sister has the human (laughs) children because I like to sleep. Not that the cats let me sleep, but... Yeah, no. (laughs) All right. Do you dare roll again? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's five again, I swear to God. We can't... We can defer to... We can defer to four. I like four. Okay. One. One. Do you see okay. one? Yeah, one's fine. I do see, I do see one. Do you understand now? <laughs> I'm glad. That there's a top? I'm glad. Well, it's also because there's like angle. Like, do you see what I, I mean? Do see, I do angles? see what you mean. I'm being a brat. I, I do see what you mean. <laughs> but you are right, and I'm wrong in this case. <laughs> this is survival skills. Okay. You are in a yellow jackets type situation. Huh. You're stranded in the wilderness with a bunch of your friends. I want your greatest asset, the thing that you bring to the group that could help everybody survive. But then I also want your greatest weakness, the 
thing that would do you all in? Oh, God. My greatest asset, my greatest asset, <laughs> my sense of humor. <laughs> I'd keep everyone laughing. Um, but an actual skill set, do I have any? I don't I don't know. I'm I'm a good rallier. Okay. Like I could like get That's everyone important. together to talk about what we're going to do. Do I know what we're going to do? No, but I'll start the conversation. Everyone always underestimates group morale in these situations, and that's key. Group morale or group uh, something else, word what, I can't think of. What's like a like a seemingly silly thing that would stop you from, from surviving like that type of situation, like a zombie outbreak? Like I always think that like I, I – Go to the gym. I can run. I'd be able to hold my own, but then I'd be wearing contacts and I'd run out of solution. And then I wouldn't be able to see. That's a good one. I also have contacts. There's no toothpaste in yellow jackets. That's the other thing that stresses me out. I know. I'm terrified of the dentist. (laughs) Why? Because it's scary. You had bad experiences as a kid. Honestly, I don't know. I think that when I was. It's a common fear. It is a very common fear. I think it's when I was a teeny child going to a pediodontist. They always used to do the paint on Novocaine and never the shots. I don't actually remember the pain. But I've never I even don't, heard of that. I don't remember ever getting a shot of Novocaine. And I know I had fillings and baby teeth as a kid. Paint on Novocaine? Yeah, that like sounds... where they would like paint it. It's like when they give you the shot of Novocaine now, first they'll paint it on that spot of your gum and oh, then but... give you the shot. Oh. But I don't remember ever getting a shot when I was a kid. Oh, no, like they just forgot that step. <laughs> they were, oh, they no. forgot it repeatedly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, don't worry. You don't have to go to the yeah. dentist today. <laughs> what would... Contacts also, like, you know, here's what I'd be worried about. It's that time of the month, and I'm not even worried about pads, tampons, diva cup, whatever. I get so hungry, hmm. I would steal everyone's rations, and then I'd get beat up. You're stealing the bear meat. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I need to eat when I'm hungry once a month. I saw a video on TikTok. This is so random and not part of my Dice Tower game, but I saw a video on TikTok that made me think of the pee-poo bucket thing. <laughs> Because everyone thinks it's it's you, right. like you were sleepwalking and doing it, and someone was they were doing like an icebreaker activity with a bunch of colleagues, and it was like something that like a, a secret thought that embarrasses you, and one person said, "I have like this nightmarish scenario where in like real life, in waking life, when I'm pooing, that really I'm actually dreaming and like pooing <gasps> somewhere." Else. I was like by myself cackling over <laughs> this, and all, all I could think about is like. That's what's happening to Thaisa. Oh, no. Yeah, I've had those those scary dreams before. Or like you're peeing in a dream and you wake up and you're like, oh, my God. It's like that's that's probably one of my worst nightmares, which is probably why I get up 500 times during the night. This is actually a show talking night. about your worst nightmares. No. I, I have a question. I, why did I do Let's this Let's see, which, which question? Six. Six. No, no, that's I'm asking you. What's my sixth question? What uh, okay. is your most <laughs> emotional fear? My emotion, my most emotional afraid fear of is intimacy. Are you afraid of <laughs> just keep being going left behind? <laughs> I, is really this, is, this is like really dark now. Yeah, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid. afraid of anything bad happening to my family, and oh. I'm afraid of failing, <laughs> failing in my career. <laughs> I'm saying that with like a big smile and How laugh on my face. Here? I don't know, but now I want yours. What's like oh, your God. like a real deep emotional fear? That I will mess up. You have to match mine now. The... I just went dark. <laughs> okay. Okay. You want a real one? Okay. That I've I've finally met someone I really love and I am too messed up and I'm going to destroy it. 
I understand that. <laughs> that oh, the, twi- the, therapist. the twist on that is if you don't feel that way, it might not be as important to you. Hey. And it might be a sign you don't care as much as maybe you should. And I can say the same about you and your career and how much you love your family. You're right. It's this true, This is actually though. therapy it's night. It's true. I like it. I like it. <laughs> now we got a, what is it, six? Six oh, or this one, nine. This one's fun. Okay. Wait, there is no nine. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that, too. Um, this is slumber party. Okay. What three famous people would you invite to your slumber party? Do they have to be alive? No. Okay. Whoever you want. Well, <clears throat> how about Whitney Houston when she was, like, 20? Um, Whitney Houston when she was, like, 20. You know what? I'd be really curious to talk to Jesus. Like, what What was up with that? You know what? Fair I'll throw enough. Moses in there because I just learned a lot more about Jewish history and how Passover came to be, and I didn't know how important Moses was to them. So <laughs> Moses, Jesus, and a 20-year-old Whitney Houston. I was a Hebrew and Judaic studies major in college, and I probably can't tell you, like, half as much as what you know. I, do you remember where the word Passover comes from? Like, why it's called Passover? Yes, I do Because of that. the lamb's that blood I know. passing I feel like the... I learned that in Hebrew school I just back learned that in the day. Thanks, Benchtopia. <laughs> I have, like, a whole major where I learned all this stuff for, so like, so many years of my life, and it just goes in one and, ear and out the other. Yeah. I even studied the Hebrew language for two and a half years, and you know how much I remember one word because it's tattooed on my foot. What? <laughs> oh, share. It means happiness. Well, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, if I remember only you one word, it's remember a good word. more if you picked up a book. I'm sure. So the funny thing about Hebrew school as a kid, or at least where I grew up, is they teach you how to read it, but they don't teach you what anything means. So if, like, you handed me a prayer book, I could actually say everything out right. loud, but I couldn't tell you what the words meant. Oh, that's. <laughs> Isn't Not a great way to pass on a language <laughs> or a culture. <laughs> I feel like this is the most bizarre version of Dicey Questions I've ever played. Sorry. I love it. That's what I'm here <laughs> for. All right. Now for the meat of our conversation. Yes. Every single ladies' night begins here. What was the movie, the performance you saw, personal experience you had, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor and nothing else? Yeah. I was around eight years old, and it was a touring Broadway production of The Music Man. I love musicals. Musical theater is actually my heart, my soul, where I want to end up someday, Broadway. Yeah, it was a touring Broadway production of The Music Man, and I I don't really remember much about that show, to be honest, but I remember there's, like, a librarian and a band teacher, and there was a little girl, and she was playing the piano, and she was, like, my age, and I went, oh, my God, little, like, she... She can do that. I can do that. And now here we are. So you have that dream. When you decide you actually want to make it your profession, what do you think is step one to becoming a working actor? And now, having done it, would you recommend that as a first step to somebody else who's just starting out? What? Yeah. I thought the first step was to move. I mean, I was actually pretty strategic for an 18-year-old. I auditioned for school. Like, I wanted to go to musical theater school, get a BFA. I didn't get in anywhere. Boo. I got into one place, but I couldn't afford to go there. The story sounds better. I don't I like say I any of those. Anywhere. Anyway, <clears throat> um, so I thought, okay, I need to move somewhere, and I'm just going to give TV acting and film acting a try. I'll find somewhere, take some acting classes, and I thought I could move to L.A., I, I could move to New York, and I thought, no, and I'll be a really small fish in a big pond. I should move somewhere smaller where I can become the big fish in the small pond. So I moved to Portland, Oregon, because it's like they get a few na- – well, at the time – over 10 years ago, they'd get a few national commercials a year, had a few TV shows. And I thought, I can do that. I can, in like two years, I gave myself work on every show and do a few um, commercials. 
And uh, luckily I was right. You I, were on Grimm, weren't you? I was. Yes. <laughs> this makes sense. This makes yeah, sense. I was on Grimm. And I did a commercial for, like, Obamacare or something. And I had a, a, um, a small part in a movie called Laggies, ah, directed by the late Lynn Shelton. Great movie. Great Starring director. Keira Knightley. Um, and I also just took some acting classes and, like, learned the different way to act on screen versus TV. And then... Once I got my SAG card, I thought, all right, I did all I could here, and I moved to L.A. I want to follow up on where you started with that because I always love discussing going to school or not going to school on this show because there are so many situations where really talented people just aren't accepted into a program oh because God. I feel like those auditions don't usually get at like like the heart and the essence of what someone's capable of. And then there's also situations where people get in and they can't afford it, which is just such yeah. an incredible shame to somebody to somebody out there who thinks school is not an option or is wind up being told that school is not an option for them, what is another path they can pursue so they could study their craft, try things out in a safe space, and actually get an opportunity to learn? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. I mean, these days there are so many resources online. Um, but before I get into that, like it's just about working on your craft, like you said. So I would say find local theater um, in your area and do that. Watch Stuff like this, watch roundtables, learn about the craft, check out the books, study the craft and apply it if you can get into an acting class in your area. And then, like, uh, I hate to say it, but it really is all about online presence these days. So even if it's just, like, recording some monologues or, like, throwing a scene up on TikTok or even on Instagram, you actually never know who's going to watch your stuff and sometimes tagging random people. Like, I actually go to my mentions often and will, like, watch the random things I'm tagged in. And, like, there have been times someone has tagged me in something like that, like a monologue or something, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. You never know who might repost it or who might, um, I don't know, want to, like, who will see it. And then that will open other doors. But it's about your craft at the end of the day. That is so incredibly true. I love that piece of advice, especially that's one thing that I really do appreciate about TikTok now, whether it's someone in that position posting a monologue or even there's like a couple of uh, music artists that I never knew before TikTok. But Same. because they came up on my For You page, I bought their music. Yeah. Like I paid to make sure that their incredible work was yeah. supported. Yeah. I think that's how I found Orla Gartland. I think that was on was TikTok, and she's an Irish singer who tours a lot with Dodie. Anyway, you just never know. To your point, you never know what if you're if you're good at what you do and you put it online. Chances are, someone will see it. I love that. I love that positive way of looking online too, because I feel like social media often gets a negative connotation. But like, if you associate with the right people, the right creators, and are exploring the right corners, there's so much to gain. From yeah. It. Yeah, there can makes be. Makes me happy. All right, I have a specific person to bring up that I know you gained something from, Regina King. So I was reading an interview you did where I think you called her, like, your first mentor because she invited you over for dinner and she gave you advice. And I was wondering, can you share one piece of advice she gave you that ultimately you wound up using and it helped you out? Yeah, I think Regina is very much about, like, at the time was telling me to be true to myself, you know, just to, like, stay true to me. And that is really helpful in this industry. There's a lot of, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's so much going on. As much of it is, like, real, honest conversations, there's just as much make it look like you're having a real, honest conversation. Um, and it's nice to keep, keep the center of who you are. 
just having a conversation with Michelle Rodriguez for the show, and she was heavily emphasizing when you start, you draw your lines, and you never cross your lines, because if you cross that line even once, you're more susceptible to doing it again. Yeah, that's really true. And it's also okay to adjust your lines. That's a good addition there. Like, my lines change depending on the seasons of my life. Like, that could even be uh, like a sex scene, for example. Like, I think at the beginning of my career, I would have done pretty much anything. Like, I've been I've been disrobed a few times on screen um, because it made sense to me. But now when I think about it, there was, like, a scene or two early on where that wasn't really necessary. And so now I'm just not going to unless I think it furthers the story. Or, like, in the case of um, Yellow Jackets... Uh, when Van and Ty are, like, swimming in the lake or whatever. That wasn't necessarily necessary to see these two people um, without their clothes, but I thought, like, it was a really beautiful... It just was a beautiful kind of important moment for, like, queer representation in the sense of, like, we're seeing these straight couples, like, having sexy scenes or being naked all the time. Like, I don't know, how often are we seeing two female characters in an interracial relationship just, like... I just thought that was a beautiful image, and it showed the intimacy of their relationship. I'm just thinking about it more now than like, yeah, I really want the job. It's like, no, I, does it further the story? Does it mean something to me? Speaking of queer representation and all different forms of representation, I was reading another interview you had done where you were emphasizing, you know, an interest in producing and getting certain stories that are important to you told on screen. And it was making me wonder, do you remember the very first time on a professional set where, like, you noticed your voice being heard in a different way, where when you expressed your opinion on something, you could see the power in it, that it could change something and do it for the better. Yeah, I mean, that's happened a few times. Um, I think something that comes to mind is this season on Yellow Jackets, we've seen more scenes with Taisa and Akila, and I'm definitely a part of that. Yeah, because, like, let's be honest, if there's two black girls in a group of uh, they're the only two they're gonna stick together especially in a survival scenario Um, and Nia and I both believe that that's happening a lot more off screen than we happen to see on screen but I've been championing that from the beginning that we see that Um, and so it's nice that that got taken into account season two we've They've had more scenes together. Oh, that makes me so happy. I can't wait to get to my specific question about one of those scenes. Before I do that, I mean, let's just go to Scream. Everyone out there knows I'm obsessed with this this (laughs) franchise and I want to ask you about it. I want to ask about Scream 5 first because Radio Silence was telling me that for the new characters in Scream 6, they had them all audition with uh, killer reveal monologues. So it was making me wonder for the Scream 5 auditions, did you have to do that? Oh, pardon me. No, I didn't. But the script I was given, I was, Mindy was the killer in episode, I mean, in, in the fifth one. I think each of us got a script where our character was the killer. So we didn't, I didn't know until a couple weeks before rap who the killers were. Like they did a, or maybe I'm just an idiot. Like I think most people <laughs> figured it out. I I know this franchise like the back of my hand, and every single installment has kept me guessing. That's definitely not an idiot. Thank you. I'm curious now. What what was what was the sides? What was her her motivation? Oh, for I don't remember actually because (laughs) I read it that one time, but was just so like, 
And I I'd actually, I think I should go read it again. I'm so curious you, to know I feel what like that is. You could read it. I could send it to you. I like, it never got have, made. Who I mean, cares? It's not, it's not canon. Yeah. It's not canon. I'm always curious about every single detail, and I love hearing about how these things come together. Yeah. All right. So Scream 6 spoilers. We're going to have a, a nice and pretty spoiler flag up. And yes. I feel like everybody watching this knows that I talk about this stuff all the time. So you've seen it, right? I know. All right. So I want to ask about the subway scene first. What was your very first reaction to reading that scene for the first time? Did even you for a second think that that was the end for Mindy? Yeah, and I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, no, you need me. You need your your Mindy. Um, yeah, I was scared, but I also thought it would be kind of funny if they just kind of did the same thing again. And I like to believe that in the fifth one, Mindy didn't actually pass out. I like to think she was faking her death, that she like got sliced and was like this and then just kind of looked up and saw what was going down and went, nah. <laughs> Or she's just such a big horror fan, she got a front row seat to the real yeah. deal. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm not going to stop thinking about that. Maybe. I would believe that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, two more questions about this particular scene. For first, I'm just curious from a performance perspective, what do you find more challenging? A scene where you're running from the killer and it's a little more action and stunt heavy, <laughs> or it's something like the subway scene where where all the terror and suspense is strictly coming from you standing in the same spot and giving us reaction shots? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, because they're so different. I mean, the almost 30-year-old in me is like, yeah, the running one. Like, I'm that's, that's for 25 and under. Um, but... But yeah, as an actor, it is a lot of pressure to just be standing there and have to, you know, I'm thinking, okay, music is going to help. How they cut it is going to help. A lot is going to help. But I, they were definitely like, look more <laughs> scared. You nail it. It works really Thank well. You. And the whole team does. That scene is exceptionally God, well cut. It's and so good. I'm a New Yorker, too. So when I first Has heard it ruined the, York, the subway for you? I mean, the subway was ruined for a million other reasons, but... I mean, it kind of makes it a little more exciting to me. Oh <laughs> keeps, my it keeps God. me on my toes a little bit. No. Um, but really, the way that that was, that was used, that was a top priority as a New Yorker to see that kind of scare scene yeah. explored in that, in that uh, location the right way. Yeah. And, and it they, was. This, they killed it. Okay. Here's my next question about that one. And the, the answer to this could just be a flat-out no. But when you read that she's in a scene that imp- could imply to the audience that, like, she's stabbed to the point that realistically she would be dead, do you feel any pressure yourself through your performance to justify her survival? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I should say yes. 
You know, it's we joke amongst the core four about Chad surviving because um, that man got stabbed a lot, a lot, uh, and we joke about Mindy surviving. I think we joke about all of them surviving, really, and we just say they have like a special blanket. They put on the special blanket and all their wounds heal. I phrase that question that way because I'm usually like a stickler for rules and stuff, but I think it's really something special when you need to have that suspension of disbelief, but the actors earn that love from the audience to the point that that doesn't matter and you're just so happy and relieved to see your favorite character survive. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, like I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I think that's a really special accomplishment. Thank you. So many more questions. Um, a third <laughs> act, on. a third act question, just a theory question, or maybe not a theory. Maybe this will happen in seven. How do you think Mindy would feel if she found out that Sam suspected, even for a second, that she was the killer in the third act reveal? That's such a good question. I think she'd be a bit honored. I think she'd be pissed, but also honored. Like, oh, wow, me. Thank you. But how dare you? You know, a classic Mindy comedy reversal where she's like, no. That is an A plus answer to that. Thank you. So going going into screen, like, can they just announce it and confirm it already? You guys did so well. It's a great movie. Did really well. Everybody loves it. I'm rooting for it. Looking looking ahead, if that movie happens, going out of Scream Six. Rephrasing, going into Scream 6, actually, what do you think Mindy thinks her greatest strength in one of these scenarios is? And now, assuming Scream 7 happens, going into that new movie, what do you think her, what do you think she thinks her greatest strength is? I think going into 6, I think she thought her greatest strength was her knowledge, was her, like, lineage, but also her brain and how studied she is. But given that she was a bit slow and missed one of the killers in six, I think going into seven, if there is a seven, that maybe she would think her greatest strength is the bond, like is the core four. Right? Core four is so special. It is. So special. Because it's like, I'm sure you know, it's a pretty hot topic of conversation for hardcore fans. Like, how, how do you ever evolve beyond the big three? And I love five, but six in a special yeah. way solidified that we are okay to move on because we have the core four now. Wow. I've uh, that's really huge. It is to hear. <laughs> it is. And having that conversation and knowing a lot of the fandom feels that way makes me very happy. Wow, thanks for saying that. Now your next thing that I'm full blown obsessed with. I have abused my screeners for yellow jackets. <laughs> I have I have watched my screeners so many times that when I started preparing for this particular interview, I got an alert that said you have hit your maximum oh, no. on these stop watching. <laughs> so you watched each episode five times. Is it five? To, to, to be completely honest, I didn't watch them all the way through five times, okay, but I prepared for many an interview. And I, I always like to go back and refer to particular yeah, lines and, you know, rewatch at least with one particular character's arc in yeah. mind. But then the fine folks at Showtime refreshed, so I watched all of Jasmine's scenes, all of your <laughs> scenes all over again. Um, oh, wow. Okay, but before I even get to the new season, I want to go back to the very beginning, the audition. What would you say is the biggest difference between how you pictured Thaisa when you auditioned for the role for the first time and then who she became? as you started shooting the season and got to explore more? That's a good question. Back at the audition, I didn't know she was going to be so serious. Like, she's just so serious all the time. Girl, relax, unless she's with Van in the younger generation. Um, I didn't know she was so dark and serious. Um, 
But I think that is that is partly the writing, but also it must just be something in me that I brought to the role. Uh, yeah, because the audition scenes were just about, they were both on the soccer field talking about what to do about Allie. It's just very teenagery stuff. I think that is a big difference. Episode one, they're very much teenagers. And then two on, they're teenagers in crisis. So, like, in a way, they're adults, but they're also children. Like, we never really get to – we don't get to see the teens mm-hmm. that much after episode one. They lost out on all those teen t- those teen years or yeah. teen time, whatever time is between the crash and – Yeah, teen time. Turning I like 20. Teen time. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to start saying that for no reason now. You brought up uh, Van, so I'll go to Liv next. So we were talking about this at the junket. What Liv did with their performance is basically act their way into a major series long arc, I would assume, and not having the character die in season one, which is very, very special. Do you remember the very first time you two shared a scene on set where where you felt that like you you kind of stopped and said to yourself, like, damn, they're doing something really special and the show can't let go of it? That's a great question. I mean, all of the scenes with Liv are really fun. They like to improv sometimes. They bring a really special energy to set and to their character. I mean, we had a lot of fun. The first thing that comes to mind is the wolf attack, which is kind of ironic because that's when, like, they would be dead. So prior to that, um, I would say the first time that Ty and Van are, like, making out against the tree and we're just seeing something, a different side of each of them in private, it felt like the heart of the show in a way and Liv brought that <laughs> sparkle that butch king energy <laughs> that I see people calling Van online it's really? so funny <laughs> yeah someone said imagine being Tysa Turner Tysa Turner and you fumbled the bag with a a sexy butch king in your <laughs> teens and then also with like a hot femme queen in your 40s oh, <laughs> God. Like, imagine. What a harsh assessment. Jeez. But it's true, though. I guess so. No, it is like, true. Damn, Tysa. It is true. Um, I'll, I'll stick with that relationship because you you get what, or at least from an outsider's perspective, I think could be one of the hardest lines to deliver when you're acting. When you have an I love you scene. Oh. It's just, it feels to me like a really difficult thing to say that in a yeah. way that feels sincere <laughs> yeah, but not feel overly sentimental. Yes. <laughs> what was it like trying to figure out the right tone for her to say I love you back I tried to not think about it too much and I thought Thaisa would just like underplay this casually sweep it under the rug try to throw it away you know like just that energy and I hope it landed. <laughs> it felt it felt very real to me. Okay, good. A, it really is a beautiful moment and their relationship is it's above special. and beyond one of my favorite parts of this show thank you Many other things I need to hit on, though. Um, season season two, I guess this is episode two slash three, the, the eating scene and the aftermath. I was just wondering. It's more of a theory than anything. Do you think that Thaisa, if she were not under control of the other when they were eating, if she was her real self, would oh. she have eaten? That's a really good question. You know what? That's so interesting. I wonder if her moral – I think her moral high ground – would have had her wanting to say no. But I also think that she would have thought through, like, how are we going to survive the winter? This might be our only option. I could see her going back and forth, but I could see her ultimately doing it or at least pretending to do it simply 
to not become Ben Scott. Like, you can't be the one who didn't in a group like this, like in a survival situation. For so many reasons. You have to at least fake it so that no one gets mad at you, you know? Or like He's ostracized now and he's weak. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she threw up all the food the next day. Yeah. Just like, girl, could you not keep it down? Speaking speaking of which, ever since our last conversation, when I rewatched that, I'm like, oh, it's stew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think about that a lot. Yeah. Those are the details that I think about. Yeah. Yeah. I also found out that uh, I think Liv said there was one other person who asked about the eat eat the face line at the junket. And when I went back in the hospitality, you know who the other person who who asked that question? What? My best friend. Oh, really? We're in the same wavelength. (laughs) I like this. All right, let's go. Ooh, I'm up to my Aquila question. So the Great. the one that I wanted to focus on in particular was in episode three when they were making gifts for for the baby shower, and yeah. and Aquila tells her about her. I believe it's her nephew. Yeah. Is there anything that kind of changes Ty's mentality hearing about that? Because I feel like for the most part, Ty is, you know, very focused on like her main missions from season one, her personal feelings, her feelings about Van and and all that kind of thing. So what is it like for her and how does it change her when she hears about a deeply personal thing that someone else is going through? Yeah, I think that I think that's just more weight on her back. Like it's yet another person that she feels like responsible for because I think in a way you know she tried to rescue everybody she tried to leave to get find a way out because she felt like every the responsibility of all of these people's lives on her shoulders and just like she's aware that everyone has families and people that love her but hearing about it just makes that burden heavier do you think she also feels at all like I know she's kind of leaning a little more towards Lottie at this point, but do you think she feels at all responsible for encouraging Akila to lean in that direction too? Oh. Yeah, totally. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> you should come on set and ask these questions on set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like for better or worse, whatever's going to come from this Lottie thing. Like I think in a way it's like okay, good. Now Akila has, like, a purpose. She has something she can focus on. She has something she can find meaning in. In a way, it's like a weight off. All right, she's taken care of. But then it's also like, if this goes wrong, it's my fault. So that's that's a lot. She blames herself for everything. Yeah. That's what happens when you're a caretaker, though, and you take that seriously. Yeah. Oy. All right, yeah. here's a question that might be unanswerable, because I don't even know how much you know for sure in terms I of nothing. the— I mean— no, basically nothing. <laughs> Probably. When you're doing scenes as the other, how much like are you as the actor playing the other thinking about the flashback scenes for like super young Ty and her grandmother and the first encounter with the man with no eyes? You know, I am not. <laughs> I'm not thinking about it a lot because I don't I still don't know what's going <laughs> on. Like I don't know. I'm just as in the dark as you are on what is going to happen with the no-eyed man and the sleepwalking, et cetera. And every time we shot it, we shot all those scenes out of order, first of all. And then secondly, it was just different every time. Like sometimes she is following the no-eyed man. Sometimes he's not there. And so then I'm thinking, does she see him even though he's not here? Or is he never there and she's being pulled by Like, I don't know. So I kind of just do something different every single time, and then I let the editors figure it out. Is, is there anything, given the way the, the show is shot and given the way that you're 
you're fed information on what's really going on. Is there anything that you felt compelled to ask the showrunners about in a way that, you know, was like, like, I need this information in order for her to feel whole for the rest of the series? That's a good question. I don't really think so. No, I've just kind of gotten used to assuming that I'm not going to get any information because they have it very on lock and key. But sometimes someone, usually a director, would like whisper something. For example, I didn't know that Ty is sleep eating Jackie. Like I didn't, that wasn't clear in the script. So on the day when we shot um, just like Ty and Van sitting up and walking out of the room, the director was like, by the way, you're sleepwalking. I was like, that's really good to know, dude. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I think, yeah, it's just a really huge cast. So a lot of stuff gets lost along the way oh, in terms wow. of getting us information, but they also don't want us to know. It's, it's TV magic. I mean, yeah. the showrunners were explaining to me during the interview, like, a lot of the things that you have to do during the production are, are wholly dependent on reasonably keeping a show like this up and running in terms of resources, in terms of having creative yeah. freedom to adjust things as you keep going on. And I don't know, at least from at least from the standpoint of someone who's seen through ep- episode six of season two, the fact that things seem to align as well as they do is mind-blowing to it's me. It's magic. I don't understand that. Um, this is kind of a somewhat similar uh, question, so I don't know if you're going to have an answer for this one either. But when you're playing the other, do you have to decide on what the other's goals are just to justify the other's actions as you're That's walking good through question. them? I will just for that moment. Like, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into the motivations, et cetera, of the other because I don't want to go off the rails. And those scenes are so quick that I just go based on what the other wants in that moment, Mm -hmm. which is like either to find – how much do we know by episode six? I mean, walk into the trees. Yeah, episode six is the most devastating episode I've seen yet. (laughs) So, yeah, like whether it's like to find a symbol on a tree or if it's – to follow the no-eyed man, just that simple. Here's a specific one. What about when the other tells Van, yes, come? Yeah. God, right? That's that's the moment that really put that idea in my mind. Yeah, what was I thinking? You know, again, when I don't have information, I'll just try something different every single take. Like, that's just kind of the way that I am as an actor anyway. Mm-hmm. I'll, unless a director is like, that stay exactly in that lane. Even then, still, I don't want to do it the same every time. So I'll keep my motivation but do something slightly different. When I know nothing, I make a different choice every take. So on some of them, it was sinister. On some, it was like, oh, that's a good idea. On some, it was, yeah, you can help me. Uh, So it just kind of depends on what they end up going with. Whether it's Yellow Jackets or anything that you've done, can you give me an example of two, like, polar opposite takes you brought to a particular scene where maybe ultimately what the editor and the directors chose surprised you? Yeah, well, that that is one. I'm trying to think. What was there something recently in Yellow Jackets? Um, Off the top of my head... I, I'm so hard that I'm put on the spot. Oh, I know. But, but I that, know. The one I just gave is like the yeah. first thing that can come to mind. Like just very different. Or, yeah, I think, um, no, we still don't know that. Anyway, there's something <laughs> that happens later on where there's a big discovery that's a bit heartbreaking. And in one version, I did like a shocked and horrified take. And then in another, it was a bit more like humored. Hmm. And I think which can come off as 
that's uh, depending on how that's edited that could look so many ways when someone laughs in the face of a discovery it can seem sinister it can seem they're losing it um and I haven't seen those episodes oh, yet, I'm so I don't so know confused. what they picked. I'm, like, so curious what it winds up being. And when I do get those episodes, you know I will watch them five times yeah. and overanalyze <laughs> that particular beat. Um, touching on Lottie now in particular. So in this season, it seems like Ty's had multiple opportunities to kind of teeter more and more towards following Lottie's teachings. Is there any particular thing that happened that you think pushed her in that direction the most? Like like I had noted down, you know, when, when they find Travis and it's there is something deep inside of you that's connected to all this. Like, is that the thing that made her believe? Um, you know, I'm the not sleeping getting she better. Believes is Ooh, the thing. Okay. Like <laughs> I know people keep saying that, that, oh, well, when she says that Lottie cured her sleepwalking, I still think that she might think that was kind of a fluke. Like, I'm not of the belief that Thaisa fully believes. Okay. I'm just not. Here's another thing that's tied to that that I don't know if you'll be able to answer, but given what goes down in episode six, when when they do all of those those rituals and those sacrifices and the baby still dies— is that ultimately going to have Ty veer in the other direction where even if she had the slightest bit of belief, that's all gone now? Possibly, yeah. Mm, I mean, <laughs> I think that I've heard the showrunners say that Taisa is um, an atheist, if anything. Like, if anything, she doesn't believe in anything, spiritual, woo-woo, whatever. Um, and maybe she was open to it a bit with the Lottie of it all. But exactly, when the baby doesn't make it, it's like, no, I was right. Nothing Nothing exists. We just need to survive. We just need to get through the winter. My heart. I can't stop thinking of episode six. I'll I'll end with this. It's more of a scene partner question and basically an opportunity for me to say this out loud on camera again. Sophie and Elise needs an Emmy nomination. I agree. Needs an Emmy nomination. That is an incredibly difficult episode for all of you, but she is at the the center, the core of it. What did you strive to do for her as a scene partner so that she could crush this really challenging material? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to be present with her every time. I mean, and I'm sure you've heard the story, maybe not, that we had to shoot a lot of that episode six twice. We shot most of the birth stuff, the losing the baby, all of that, and then the camera wiped. It was the worst day of a lot of our lives, no exaggeration, because it took like four days to shoot that scene. The screaming, the crying, the baby, the blood, the the close-ups, and then like 40% of it just vanished, and we had to do it again. Oh, my God. My heart crumbles for everyone everyone involved. Everyone involved. So I just wanted to be present for Sophie and for everyone and just really be there, even if I was off camera, just like sometimes looking in another actor's eyes is what will get the emotion going again. Um, So, yeah, I just always want to be there for her. You never want that to happen. But on the bright side, I feel like... Still turned out good. And I feel like I'm not the only one saying that about the Emmy situation. Oh, no. So it's got to make everyone feel good. This has become my favorite question to end on, whether it's Yellow Jacket Scream or anything you've done. I want you to tell me about one particular scene that makes you now say, like, damn, I'm really proud of what I did there. Because I feel like in this industry, like we're just talking about Emmys, we're pretty good at giving other people awards, but we don't really say good job to ourselves nearly enough. That's that's a good question. Hmm. Well, you know, I haven't rewatched The Leftovers in a long time, but I remember feeling really proud about, what was her name? It was in like the other world in season three when Evie was playing... A girl, 
Donya? Was that her name? I think so. I can't remember. Um, and all of that with Kevin. I'm really proud of the work I did in that episode. I've only just gotten better at not calling the Yellow Jackets cast their character name or, like, vice versa. Yeah. Like, I have a really hard time lately. It's a lot of with, names to keep With track changing of. names and not saying what I mean. It's a sign that everyone's so good. And I can't tear you all away, friends. It's the same, the same thing with Scream, too. Every character feels very specific to the actor that was cast in that role, and it makes it very much something special Good. that I adore. I have to let you go. But I have a million lovely. more questions, and that just means you have to come back to Ladies' Night sometime oh, darn soon. It. Congratulations. Congratulations on Scream, Yellow Jackets, everything you accomplished, and everything that's coming your way in the future. Thank you. We'll do this again. 